Welcome to the Renaissance Church Podcast. Our mission is to glorify God and to make disciples by bringing the gospel into all of life in all the earth. This is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church here in Richmond, Texas. And if you've not joined us in a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we would love to have you join us. You can find out more information at rin-church.org. And I pray that you are encouraged and edified by the proclamation of God's word today. I was saved at a youth camp in Colorado many moons ago in uh, the, the mid-90s. And I will never forget the first time that I, I came into a room of believers and I heard the gospel of Jesus preached. And I knew how much God loved me. I knew how much I needed him. And then we worshiped and I felt the spirit of God like in a way that I'd never ever experienced before. I, I describe it uh, as if you've ever had uh, an x-ray and they put that lead blanket on you to like protect the parts that you don't want to have radiated, right? It, it was almost like that. It was like, I just, I couldn't go low enough in the room. Um, and I just sense the Lord's presence in this place. And so I just want you to know like he's here. And I think he wants to lead us into his heart. And that's actually what we're talking about this morning. Uh, we're we're going to be in Matthew chapter 16. And Jesus tells us something about his heart in Matthew chapter 16 that I think is so important for us. And uh, what he tells us, it is so simple. And it is so profound. It is uh, powerful. And if you've been wondering what in the world the Lord is doing in the world today, you can actually know that. That's a knowable thing. You, you don't need an oracle or a prophet to tell you. We, we can know for certainty what he's doing today. If deep down you've wanted to give your life towards a great cause, you've wanted to, to spend yourself on something worthwhile, let me tell you, we have the greatest cause on the planet. You, you can know ex exactly what that cause is today. If you've, like me, in, in that campsite in Colorado, if you've tasted how good the Lord is, and there's something in you that wants to know, like, how do I get more of him? Like, I just want him. I desire him. I desire his presence. Like, where can I go? You can locate where to go this morning. Or if you've felt the sting of loneliness, and you've longed for a place of belonging, right? A, a community, a sense of family, that hope can find its fulfillment. And all of those things are wrapped up in what we're gonna read today in Matthew chapter 16. It is so simple, and yet it is so powerful. Um, it's gonna be in verse 13. I'm gonna read it for us. We're gonna have it on the screen for you. If you have your Bible, you can read along with me. Matthew chapter 16, starting in verse 13, and here's what it says. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? It, this story is also recorded in Mark and Luke. And there he says, who do they say I am? So he's, he's referring to himself. Who do they say that the Son of Man is? Verse 14, they replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, 
Jeremiah or one of the prophets? Jesus turns to them, but you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. Then he gave the, the disciples orders to tell no one that he was the Messiah. This is God's word. So we have this, this moment with Jesus and he's, he's telling them something that is absolutely crucial and it's crucial for us. We're in a series right now called Building with Jesus. And we've been talking about what does it mean for us to build what God is building. The very first week, we started with Psalm 127. It's a song of Solomon. And in it, he says, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. We talked about why would we spend our lives building something that is vanity. It's vanity. We, we, we want to build what God is building. And Jesus tells us point blank in this passage, I will build my, my church. My church. I will build my church. I will build my church. In fact, I, I just want to get that like in our brains. If you could just say that with me, I will build my church. One more time. I will build my my church. That's the, the key. It's, it's the, the main point of what Jesus tells us in this passage. And I, I want to just unpack what this means for us. But before I do that, I just want to just touch on some other things. Because, man, when, when you're preaching the Bible, the thing is, there's so many layers and so many things in every text that I just can't cover them all in, in one Sunday. Or you'd be here, it'd be like an African church service. We would just go all day long, right? But I'm not going to do that to you today. But I, I, I do want to touch on a couple of things real fast. Jesus says, number one, that Peter, that, that, that word is Petros or Petros. That means little rock, like, like a rock that you would throw, a loose stone. It's a, it's a, it's a piece of rock, right? Yeah. But Petra is bedrock, and some of you, you've come from a Catholic background, okay? And, and I understand that. And by the way, I love my Catholic brothers and sisters. I've worked with and collaborated with brothers and sisters from the Catholic Church that are born again, awesome followers of Jesus, okay? So I'm not casting shade on the Catholic Church, but I will say this, that this, the teaching that there was a line of succession from Peter to other people is actually never, ever found in, in, in the New Testament, okay? It's, it's just not there. And what, what Jesus is talking about is what Peter just confessed with his mouth. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, on that, I will build my church. The second thing, real fast, while we're just looking at what's in the text, 
It says, whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. And here's one other thing about Peter is he is a special person in the New Testament. Peter is the one on the day of Pentecost who stands up and all the devout people, Jews from all over the known world are in Jerusalem at that moment. And he's the instrument of God to speak the gospel. And 3,000 people came to Jesus day one. The first megachurch was born, right? And so Peter is special. In fact, Peter later is invited to the home of a Gentile and he has a vision. It's a weird vision and has all the unclean animals come down in this big sheet from heaven and a voice says, take, kill, and eat. He's like, no way. I've never touched any one of those. those. I've never eaten any of those things because you told us not to. And God says, do not call unclean what I have made clean. And Peter was the instrument which God first took the gospel to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people. So he's, he's special. But when he talks about binding and loosing, what that would have meant to them in their minds as a Jewish person is that, that a, a, a high priest or, or a council would have said, like, this, this is how we interpret the law. Meaning, this is okay, this is not. And the apostles, the capital A eyewitness apostles of Jesus, they, they bound and they loosed, meaning the text that we teach from, the things that are in our Bible, are, they are binding and they are loosing. And so when we're teaching from the Bible, we're actually just taking what they bound and loosed and we're applying it today. Does that make sense? So I, I just want to clear those things up because I, I want to spend really our time on this phrase, I will build my, my church, it's, it's, the, it's the main point today. It's, it's the first point. It's Jesus is building his church. It's what he's doing. And if you've wanted to know, like, what is God doing on planet Earth right now? Well, he just told us he's building his church. It's what he's doing right now all over the globe. He's building the church. It's what he's been doing since he ascended to the Father, you could actually go back to Hebrews chapter 11 and look at the, the hall of fame of faith, and you could say that he's been building his church from creation. He's been doing it. He's doing it now, and he will do it until he returns. Jesus will build the church, and it's what he's doing today. I, uh, I came across an article about a book. I haven't read the book. I've heard people reference the book. The book is called The Great Dechurching. Have you ever heard that before, The Great Dechurching? Have you heard the term to dechurch before? And it's talking about this sort of um, trend in our society here, especially in America, where we're seeing less and less people in church. There's these two pastors in Orlando, Florida, and they could sense that something was changing in their community. Something was off. They had read a survey, and in the survey, they found that the, um, their city had the, um, the same percentage of evangelicals as cities like New York and Seattle, which is odd because Orlando is the home of Crew, which is Campus Crusade for Christ. It's the home of Wycliffe Bible Translators. It's the home of mega churches, big movements, headquarters for big ministries, all there. It's a place that has been Christianized, and yet they're reading a survey and they're like, what is going on here? 
And so what they did is they, they raised $100,000 and they hired two political scientists and they combined a study with some other data. And here's what they learned. More people have left the church in the last 25 years than all the new people who became Christians from the first great awakening, the second great awakening, and Billy Graham crusades combined. Whew. Wow. That's staggering. They found in their initial survey that 15% of Americans are de-churched. And what they felt in their community is this, oh, our people used to go to church. They used to go. In uh, 2000, the year 2000, the average size of a congregation in America was 137 people. In 2020, it was 65 people. Today, after COVID, it's like 60, 60 people. People have left for all kinds of reasons. It's complicated. If you've ever had church hurts, you know how complicated that can be, right? It's complicated. But I, I was struck with this, that right now in America, Jesus is building his church. So why is everybody leaving the church? What, what's, what's going on with de-churching in, in America? And, and I wonder if maybe in some way we have lost his heart. We've lost his heart. Jesus is building the church. So let's talk about what is the church exactly? Like, what does that mean? Because it's probably a loaded word for you. I imagine, the word church. We, we've got church traditions. We have church denominations. We have church buildings. We have award shows or like The Voice or American Idol, and somebody sings a moving song, and a judge stands up and says, he took us to church on that one. And we're like, I think I know what you mean, right? But I, I don't know if that was church, but I, I know what you mean. It's a word that gets used in a lot of different ways. It can refer to a sweeping emotional experience. We have books and books and books and books and books written about church. Opinions of every kind about church, of how big they should be or how small they should be, how centralized or how decentralized or how their services should look. There's lots of opinions about the church out there. And of course, we have lots and lots of people who have been hurt by the church. So what is the church? Well, the, the original word is the word ecclesia. That, that, that's the word that Jesus used. And, and the word ecclesia is interesting because it's not a religious word. It was not a, a word that was loaded with religious meaning for them. Jesus did not say, I will build my temple. And he didn't say, I will build my synagogue. Those would have been common words of a gathering of believers to them. That's what he could have said. But instead, he uses a different word, ecclesia. 
It's a non-religious word. And I think that's important for us to understand because Jesus uses a terminology that is not laid down with a bunch of stuff. It's not, it's not a loaded word for them because Jesus has new wineskins for new wine. Amen? And so what does it mean? Well, ecclesia, here's the, tri- the, the, the way it's defined in, you know, Bible dictionaries. It is a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public space. It's an assembly. That's what it means, an assembly. Our brothers and sisters at the assemblies of God, they, they named their denomination perfectly. That's literally what ecclesia means. It is an assembly of the people of God, called out. It means group. It means called out group. And this is the very first place in the Bible where we actually see the term church. But you know, for us, the word church is kind of churchy, right? It's been churchified. You, 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 you see what I'm saying? It's been churchified, right? You know, you, you might start saying things like, I'm just pleading the blood. You know, normal people who aren't Christians don't walk around saying, I'm pleading the blood, you know? Or when, when someone gives a prayer request and you say, I just want to echo that request. People don't echo things out there. Is it, you, like the, we, we, we learn some Christianese. We, we churchify things. I, I remember being a, a worship leader and I would go to these Baptist camps that were awesome. But you know, they had to raise money to build these rooms and these spaces. And like in every room, like everything had a plaque on it. It was like, you know, donated by Bobby and Mary Jo, you know, Swinson, you know, and there'd be like a picture, it'd be a, like an, you know, 11 by 17 picture and it would, it would have a plaque on it. You turn the lamp on, there's, there's a plaque on the lamp. It's like, there was a plaque on everything, right? It was just like, this is so weird. There's a plaque on everything. It's, we, we churchify things and either for us today, the word church can be loaded with all kinds of stuff. And, and here's, here's the distinction of what it means to be the called out group. It's this. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. It's that simple. It's the gathering of people who say this. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. God, it's, it's, it's what distinguishes us. It's, it's the gathering point of what it means to be the church. It's the core issue of, of what it means to, to know Jesus, to be a disciple of Jesus. And it's what Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And so they make this confession. It's, it's the bedrock of our faith. But I just want to share something else with you that I think is so fascinating is that there's this, this little detail that they were in the region of Caesarea Philippi, which, by the way, was an area associated with idols and with the uh, rival deities. It, here's, here's what one commentator wrote. The area was scattered with temples of the ancient Syrian Baal worship. And nearby, there rose a great hill in which was a deep cavern. And that cavern was said to be the birthplace of the great god Pan, the god of nature. In Caesarea 
Philippi, there was a great temple built of white marble to the Godhead of Caesar. And it's as if Jesus deliberately sets himself against the background of the world's religions in all their history and their splendor. And he demanded to be compared to them and to have the verdict given in his favor. Wow. Jesus walks his disciples into the place where literally every world religion was celebrated and, and, and it had buildings and all kinds of crazy stuff. And he says, right here, I want to know, who do you say that I am? You're the Christ, the son of the living God. The church, this non-religious word, it has several dimensions. There's a local church. It's us today. Churches all over our community, right? It's, it's the gathering, the assembly of people locally together. But then we also have the church universal in the sense that all believers today on the planet, no matter where they're from, no matter what language they speak, it, it doesn't, you know, there's, there are brothers and sisters and we are the church universal, but there's also another dimension in that all people from all times who will be in heaven, populating heaven together right now are the church. The great cloud of witnesses that Hebrews talks about. You're a part of that. If Jesus is Lord and Messiah to you. And so it's the people gathering around the lordship of Jesus. And Jesus is building his church, and yet a bunch of people are leaving the church. I was a worship leader for like 20 years. And in the like late 90s to early 2000s, I was doing a lot of camps. So I'd travel with a band, and we would go, and we would lead camps, and we'd have you know, evangelists come and speak to the students. And I remember hearing this a lot. Did you know that going to church makes you a Christian as much as going to a garage makes you an automobile, right? And the point was this, you're not saved by being present in a church service, and that heart is right on. It's right on, right? We, we are not, you know, born again because we came to church. It's because of the confession that Jesus told us. That's it. But I think somehow the messaging got a little bit off as if to say going to church doesn't really matter. It doesn't count. And here's the thing. The church, a non-religious word, the, the biggest definition is this, a gathering. It's a gathering. Jesus, this building, this church. The second thing, Jesus is personally building his church. He says, I will build my church, which is a declaration and it's a promise. Um, I, I was thinking of, of David and Goliath. If you know the story of David and Goliath, it's, it's amazing. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And, and Goliath is going out and he's taunting the armies of Israel. And here's what Goliath says. Is all these guys are, you know, cowering in fear. He's like, you know, nine feet tall. He says, come here and I will 
Give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts. And I love David. David is like this young shepherd. He's, he's, he's ruddy. He's radiant. He's, he's got this thing about him, right? And he comes to bring some food to his brothers, and he hears the taunt of Goliath, and he's like, oh, no. Who is this guy compared to our God? This guy who's saying, I will, you know, I, I, I will conquer you guys, right? And, and here's how David responds. You come against me with a sword, a spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the rings of Israel. You have defied him. And here's what he says. Today, the Lord will hand you over to me. And he gets out the stones. And you, you know the rest of the story. Goliath comes down. You know, we can say I will about a lot of things. But when the Lord says I will, guess what's going to happen? The Lord will. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Jesus gets the job done. And he says, I will build my church. And I just want you to know, Jesus will get that job done. Amen? He is going to build his church. There are things that seem like they might crush God's people and obliterate his church. We can read all the bad news about the church. We can read that book and be like, oh, it's pointless, whatever. No, it's not. We, we, we think ideologies, false religions, heresies, persecutions, the culture, like these things are going to just, it's going to take out the church. It's, it's not going to exist anymore. Baloney. Jesus is building his church. Personally, he will get it done. But he doesn't say, you will build my church. And he doesn't say, you will build your church. And we all know like, how we like our churches. You know what I'm saying? And he doesn't say, I will build your church, which is a word for pastors. Right? Jesus, build my church. No, Jesus says, I will build my church. I will build my church. He's building it personally. Because the body calls it two things. Calls it his own body. That when Jesus looks at you and me as a part of his church, it's like his, it's like his body. He cares for it. Like if, if I walked up to you and said, hey, I just want to chop your arm off today. Are you cool with that? No. Why? It's my body. I need that. Right? The second thing is it's called his bride. And Jesus loves his bride. He's passionate for his bride. In fact, Paul says the reason why divorce is wrong is because what it does is it violates what the picture of Jesus' passion for his bride, his commitment to his bride, that he would never leave her or forsake her. Like he's not going to do it no matter what. That's how passionate he is for his bride. He's personally building his church, which means the great work that we're doing together 
is so much bigger than us. So much bigger. And before the church was ever your priority or my priority, it was Jesus's priority. He will do it. The other thing that that means is it's not built on me or you. It's not built on human cleverness. Amen? It's not built on great strategies. It's not built on great buildings. If one pastor falls, another one's going to rise up. Why? Because Jesus is building his church. If a ministry crumbles, guess what's going to happen? Another one's going to flourish because Jesus is building his church and we can get over ourselves. When one nation grows cold, another nation is being revived. Why? Jesus is building his church and he will get the job done. When one church dies, another one is born because Jesus is building his church. So don't despair, friends. The lion of the tribe of Judah is on the move. And his heart is this. I will build my church. It's my body. It's my bride. I will get it done personally. And that's so good for us to hear. Which brings us to the third thing. Jesus is supernaturally building his church. Jesus is supernaturally building his church. Some of you just got really uncomfortable because I said the word supernatural. Let me just show you in the text. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood, natural, did not reveal this to you. But my Father in heaven, supernatural. He's building it not on what flesh and blood can do or reveal or tell. He's building it on what the Father is revealing. It is supernaturally revealed. Did you know that you cannot save a single person? You can't. I can't either. That's so frustrating. Right? That's so frustrating. You can tell them till you're blue in the face. But what we're waiting on, what we're pray for. That's why prayer is so important to us as a church. We're waiting for the Father to reveal it. And here's the good news about that, is if man can't do it, man can't stop it. Does that make sense? If Jesus doesn't need me to convince you that he's Lord, guess what? I can't convince you that he's not Lord once the Father has revealed it. It's unstoppable because it's supernaturally revealed. He's supernaturally building his church. It's supernaturally advancing. If you just want to have fun, read Acts chapter 16 and look at how the church in Philippi is actually planted later when Paul comes to town. If you know the story, Paul has this vision of a man from Macedonia. He's praying, and, and he has this vision of a man from Macedonia, and the man says, come over here and help us. And so he determines, I'm going to Caesarea Philippi. And he goes there, and he's looking for a place of prayer, and there's a river nearby outside of town. He's thinking, well, maybe there'll be a nice, serene place where we can go and just pray together. And when they get there, they find some, some people and some ladies, and they begin to share about Jesus. And there's a woman named Lydia. She's a businesswoman. She's a dealer of purple cloth. And it's, here's what it says. The Lord opened her heart. 
supernatural revelation. The Lord opened her heart to respond to the message. Paul goes into town. He starts telling people about Jesus. And a slave girl who is a demon-possessed fortune teller is following them around, screaming, these men, they've come to speak to you about the Most High God. And Paul is like, well, she's not wrong. So he lets it slide for a while. And eventually, it just wears him out. He gets annoyed. And it says he turns to the girl and he casts the spirit out of her. He says, leave in Jesus' name. And that thing left in that moment. And then people got mad. And they threw him in jail. That's what happened. Threw him in jail. So you've got Lydia and you've got a demon-possessed slave girl in Lydia's household. Paul and Silas, they're in jail and they're worshiping. They're praying, they're praising God. They're singing, I'll praise you anywhere, give him praise, give him praise. And it's like, you know what I'm saying? Like, all the people are like, what is, these guys are weird, it's crazy. And it says at about midnight, the ground shakes. And all the doors fly off of the, the cells. And all the guys are like, sweet. And the jailer is like, well, that's it for me. He pulls out his sword and he goes to kill himself. And Paul says, stop. He shares the gospel with him. And the man's whole household comes to faith that night and they baptize them in the middle of the night. We got a church, baby. And the whole thing was a supernatural work of God. Jesus is advancing his church supernaturally. On February 8th of 2023, there was a routine chapel service at Asbury University here in America. And the sermon was terrible. But God didn't need a good sermon. Students, they stuck around to pray and they started confessing their sins to one another. Wow. And then more students came. And then more students came. And teachers started getting text messages. Something's going on down in the, in the chapel. You need to go. And by, this, by the time it was all said and done, over 50 or 60,000 people came. And they worshiped. And they wept. And people were healed. People were delivered. And people were saved. Why? Because Jesus is building his church. And he's building it personally. And he's building it supernaturally. And just as the gates of jail couldn't stop it, the gates of hell cannot stop it. Amen? Amen. Nothing will stop the work of Jesus. I don't care how cold our nation gets, Jesus will build his church. And friends, I wanna be in the middle of that. Amen? I wanna be right in the middle of what Jesus is doing in building his church. So if Jesus is building his church, why are we abandoning it? Really? I think it's time for us to, to get a passion again for his heart, 
And what is his heart beating for? His bride, his body. And it's a gathering of people. So how do we practically join Jesus in the building of his church? Number one, we gather. Really. The word means gathering. Gathering together. In Hebrews 10, here's what um, it says. We, we think maybe Paul wrote this. We're not sure. It says, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who is promised is faithful. Remember our confession? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Hold on to that. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works. Not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging each other in all the more as you see the day approaching do you think the day might be approaching friends yeah it's closer now than ever before amen we've never been closer to the return of jesus than right now every day you wake up you can say that we've never been closer to the return of jesus than right now and all the more, as you see the day approaching, do not neglect to gather and provoke love and good works and encourage one another, consider one another, and hold on to this confession. So we have to gather. We have to assemble. I just want to encourage you. To, I'm preaching to the choir. You're here today. Praise God. You, you're the kind to gather. But would you just get that in your bones and let that just kind of spread out from you? That there's, there's power in the gathering of God's people. The second way is our giving. And it's not just our money. It's you. Give yourself. Your time. Your, your talents. Your, your treasure. Your, your serving. Your supporting. Your presence, your smile, your personality, whatever you're going through, bring that, please. Give it. We, we need you. The church needs you. You're a part of the body. And we don't like it when body parts are missing. Amen? This week, we were able to talk with our partners in Pakistan. They're doing amazing work. And we always ask him, so like, what needs do you have and he said, well, I was in Punjab and I met a man who, uh, who lost his arm in a farm uh, accident. He's a slave. And slaves, it's, it's uh, indentured servitude, meaning that they owe a debt and they cannot pay it. And so they go and they have to be enslaved to the master. And it's so weird. It's like no one ever gets out of it. It's weird how that works. And the man loses an arm, and guess what? He, ha he has to go to the hospital to get medical attention, which means what? More debt. And we're like, well, how much is that? Well, it's like 800,000 rupees. I don't know what that means. He's like $2,700. Done. Checks in the mail. Because of your end of your giving, we, we, we set a family free from slavery this week. Praise God for that. Yeah. That man's a part of our body. He's just over, he's over across the pond somewhere. 
right? It's amazing when we come together and we bring ourselves and we bring our, our, our service and, and our time and, and whatever money we can give to the Lord and we pool that together and all of a sudden we start doing amazing things across the globe. It's powerful. How? I don't know. It's like God's economy. It just sort of multiplies itself. All of a sudden we're we're supporting education in Pakistan and, and medical clinics where Muslim people will come and hear the good news of Jesus because we just gave. Lastly, it's our going. Jesus says this, upon this rock I will build my church. If Jesus has touched your life, if you've come to that place where you just know He's Lord and he's Messiah. He's the son of the living God. Guess what you are now? You're an ambassador. You're a representative of him. And wherever you go, you are an ambassador of Jesus. Which means you have a ministry. Do you know that? I'm ordaining you now in full-time ministry. Boom, go, boom. Go. You're a full-time minister of Jesus who might also have a full-time job out somewhere in the marketplace. Or you might be a full-time parent. Or a part-time whatever. But you were always a full-time minister of Jesus. You're an ambassador. Wherever you go, you're to be the fragrance, the fragrance and aroma of Jesus. You have a story to tell. You have a testimony. He's the Lord. He's the Messiah. He's the Son of the living God. And he's supernaturally building his church, which means you can just stumble along and say that very imperfectly in a conversation. You could misquote a Bible verse even. And guess what? Someone might receive Jesus. Why? Because it wasn't about you. The Father supernaturally reveals himself through our feeble words and our feeble attempts and our messy lives. Because it's all about him and his desire. So, if you've been wondering, what in the world is the Lord doing in the world today? He's building his church. If deep down you've wanted to give your life to a great cause, something really worthy of your time and effort and attention, the greatest cause, it's this. Jesus is building his church. If you've tasted how good the Lord is and you just want to be close, you want to be where he is, Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, I am with them. I'm with my church. You can locate him today. He's here. In fact, when we were worshiping this morning, I, had, I know the Lord is here. Like Theologically, I know the Lord is here. But I just sensed the Lord whisper to my heart, I am here. Jesus is here. you felt the sting of loneliness and you long for a place of belonging, a community, a family, guess what? Your hope can be fulfilled today. Yeah. It's here. It's Jesus. It's his church. He's told us, I will build my church. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To support our work, you can like, share, subscribe, or you can donate at rin-church.org.